Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. This morning we are actually kind of beginning the home stretch of wrapping up a sermon series uh, that we've been in in the book of Exodus. And uh, so we'll be in Exodus this week and next uh, before taking a little bit of a pause to celebrate uh, Good Friday and Easter. But today we're going to be in Exodus uh, chapter 34, uh, right at the end, starting in verse 29. And if you've been with us through this series, you know what we've been looking at is to see the ways uh, that the Exodus story really is our story that we can map our own journey of faith onto the journey of the Israelites from slavery and bondage in Egypt through their wilderness wanderings and towards the promised land, that we too have been set free from a life of slavery and bondage to sin, led out uh, through the pilgrimage of this life to an inheritance that's promised to us in Jesus. And so uh, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This from Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin on his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. You can be seated. Think about uh, this journey that Moses has been on. Right on cue, every week the tree falls. Um, Think about this journey that Moses uh, has been on. He, uh, if you remember in the last chapter, asked God uh, this bold prayer, Lord, let me see your glory. And then uh, earlier in this chapter, he, uh, uh, he, he had this experience, this vision of God's glory. God said, I'll cause my glory to pass before you. And he placed him in the rock and he was able to come out and see the backside of God's glory. And now, uh, Moses himself is transformed by that glory. He comes uh, to radiate some bit of God's glory. So he he asks to see God's glory. He sees God's glory. And now he comes to shine himself as a reflection of God's glory. Moses here in this uh, little two-chapter arc 
really experiences the fullness of the Christian spiritual life in miniature, right? That we ask God that we would see him as he really is, that we would come to know him as he is, and that in experiencing his glory, we would be transformed. That we wouldn't just see it and see his glory from the outside, but that we would come to share in it, that we and ourselves would come to be transformed, Christians over the centuries have seen this, that that Moses here really shows us the way, shows us the destiny that we share as partakers of God's grace, that we become images of his glory. Gregory of Nyssa, uh, 4th century Christian theologian, uh, wrote a wonderful little book called The Life of Moses, where he shows us that this life of Moses, asking for God's glory, seeing God's glory, and then being transformed by that glory, really is a map for the Christian life, a map uh, for what all of us hope, that we would be transformed by our experience of God's glory. You know, it might be worth asking, what is glory? Right, this, is, uh, this can be one of those uh, churchy words that we use. We want to see God's glory. We want to know God's glory. But what is God's glory? It comes from the Hebrew word kabod. Uh, and really, it's also translated as weight uh, throughout the Bible. Weight. That God's glory is his weight. Uh, I think that um, one place that the... Uh, that the nuance of this word may translate into English is in the way that we use the word matter, right? Matter has a physical uh, property, right? That, that matter, as we learned in school, is something that has weight to it. It's something that has mass to it, that matter is something heavy. But uh, we all also know that matter has uh, another meaning about significance, right? That I want to matter. I want to know that I matter, in the world. I want to dedicate my, lives, my life to things that matter. And so when we talk about God's glory, we talk about his weight, his heaviness, his, his matter. But also we talk about God coming to matter more and more in our lives, us coming to realize just how much God matters in the world and in the universe and in our lives. And so to, to, to grow, at least one of the meanings of God's glory is that we would come to know how much he matters, and that we would be in awe of that, and that he would come to matter more and more in our own lives. That more and more in our decision-making, in our hearts, in the way that we orient our lives, that we would orient our lives in the way of those who believe that God matters above all else. Right? When you believe God matters, uh, we see what Moses said uh, in the previous chapter when he says to God, unless you go with us into the promised land, I don't want to go, right? Unless we can have your presence in our lives, nothing else really matters because you matter so much to us. And so to have a vision of God's glory, to glorify God means to orient our lives uh, as though God's glory matters more than all of the other even good things in our lives, that these things don't matter unless God matters above all. But while God's glory, some of it is captured in this idea of weight or heaviness or matter, it's also a relational category. In Exodus 33, when Moses says, God, let me see your glory, God says in verse 20, no man can see my face 
and live, right? God, Moses asked to see God's glory and God starts talking about his face because God's face is God's glory, that God's, uh, his, his face turning towards us, his face shining on us. Uh, Moses, we're told, met with God face to face as a person does his friend. That to experience God's glory isn't just to know in the abstract that God matters, but it's to know in the personal that we're loved. It's to have a personal experience of that glorious God turning his face towards us. To know not just about God and the general, but to have an experience and to know God in a personal way. To know relationally that God loves us and knows us and sees us is to know God's glory. And so God's glory is both heavy and massive, it matters, and it's personal and tender, and intimate, and, relationship, and relational. And when Moses experiences God's glory, he's transformed. Right When he sees God's glory, he walks down the mountain, having just received uh, the, the new tablets of the law, the new iteration of the Ten Commandments. He walks down, and he, he's unaware of the fact that everyone who sees him sees him radiating we're told uh, that they, they saw that the skin of his face was shining, that he radiated and he was transformed by God's glory. You know, each one of us longs not only to see glory, but to somehow share in it, right? There's something good about when we see something beautiful, when we see something glorious or amazing. It's good to see it, but we want more than to see it. We want to share in it. We want to be a part of it. Right, this is why I remember as a kid, uh, you know, when you, when you sat in front of a, a TV, and for me it was, uh, you know, the, the Chicago Bulls were the greatest basketball team of my growing up years, watching Michael Jordan uh, do things that other people could only dream about doing on a basketball court. Right, and I remember watching Michael Jordan go out there and play basketball, and you didn't, as a kid, you didn't just want to watch him and go, man, Michael's great at basketball. What did you do after that? You went, you got your ball, and you went outside, and you began practicing your fadeaway, your buzzer beater. You started reliving the moments of, of him maybe pushing off on the Utah Jazz guard and shooting the game winner, right? You start going back and celebrating that because you don't want to just watch him. You want what? You want to be like Mike, right, as the successful advertising slogan convinced us, right? So there I am, right, chubby little 10-year-old. But in my mind, I'm Michael Jordan. In my mind, I'm not just watching glory, I'm sharing in glory. Right? God's glory matters, and we all want to know that we matter. Right? We want to know uh, that our lives make a difference in this world, that our lives leave an impact in this world, and so we pursue it, whether it's through our work, through our relationships. We all pursue in some way, shape, or form glory. Because we know that we're made for it. We know that, that we're made for a life of beauty and goodness, authenticity. We know that we want our lives to be noticed, even to be praised and celebrated, right? Doesn't it do something for you when somebody else sees your glory? When somebody else comes up to you and says, man, you know what? You're just the best at that. You know what I, I saw? I saw that presentation you gave at work and you killed it, right? I saw how loving and kind you were to your friend and it was beautiful. 
I saw how patient you were with your child, and it was awesome. I saw how hard you worked on that test, and it was inspiring. Right? We want to be noticed in that glory. And so where do we find it? Right? If we're, if we're after glory, if, we, if we're after, some, in some ways, what Moses experienced, tasting glory and then coming to, to display glory and having that glory seen and noticed and recognized by those around him. How do we get at that? How do we get uh, at a more radiant and glorious life? You know, the main narrative of our world today is that somehow the key to finding glory is this, that your glory is inside of you and that it's being restrained by external forces, right? That there is a kernel of a true you in your heart and that when you learn to throw off external constraints, whether the demands of earlier generations, the demands of society, uh, the pressures maybe even of religion, that the true you will come out in some way and that you will be seen, that that's the way to getting to your best life, your most authentic life. In fact, Charles Taylor uh, the great uh, Canadian philosopher calls the age that we live in the age of authenticity. Right? That the, the highest goal of our age, it's no longer moral goodness, it's no longer virtue. That the greatest goal of every human life is authenticity. To be your true self, unconstrained by the demands of others. Just this week, uh, the cover of Time magazine featured Elliot Page, uh, formerly uh, the actress known as Ellen Page, now a transgender man, uh, the first such man to appear on the cover of Time. And the headline was, a direct quote from the interview, I'm finally who I am. I'm finally who I am. There's not enough space in this sermon to fully unwork and unravel uh, our society's rapidly changing views on gender and identity. But I bring it up simply to say that it's not separate from the rest of the way that all of us are conditioned to think about our lives. Right? That to matter means to finally be able to say, I finally am who I am. Right? So we switch. We, our generation, uh, I'll speak for my own generation, I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, we're more likely to switch religions than our parents were at some point in our lives. We're more likely to switch careers multiple times at different points in our lives. We're more likely to leave relationships, marriages, and, and institutions than previous generations. Why? Because we're looking for that thing that will finally tell us, I'm finally who I am. I finally am the real me. To use what, you know, we've gone with a rather uh, stark example on the cover of Time. Here's a more benign one. The most popular Disney song of the past decade, right? Uh, if you've raised children roughly my age, you've no doubt had it screamed in your ear several times. Let It Go from the movie Frozen. Here's one of the verses. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. It sounds so pretty when it's sung. I did not attempt to sing it. It would not be pretty. But when you read those words, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, you go, what on earth would happen to us 
right, if we really believe this, right, if we believe that the path to my personal glory, my path to being my true self, was held somehow in throwing off right and wrong and rules and expectations, letting it all go. I did not mean to ruin Frozen for you. Um, I know our children are in here today. But there is, it, it, I, just, I say it to call attention to it, something that's so commonsensical, it's almost not noticed. Something that even in the church we often assume. So what does the Bible tell us about where we find glory? About wh- if it's not to be found in this endless search to release our inner self, where do we find a life of radiant glory? Well, as in most things, the scriptures would, 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 would affirm a part of this cultural narrative. Right? In every, every culture, there's things that should be affirmed and things that should be critiqued. And one thing, one thing that the scriptures do tell us is that you do have glory inside of you. That you are made with an eye towards glory. The way that the scriptures tell us uh, this story is that you are made in the image of God. Right? That every man, woman, and child is made with an indelible mark of glory. But the glory that you are made with was always intended to be a reflected glory. Right? You're not made to be God. You're made in the image of God. You're made to reflect something of God's nature to the world, something of God's creativity and His goodness and His wisdom and His love. And that your life is glorious insofar as it reflects that glory. Right? When we, when we say that God made us for His own glory... Right? It doesn't mean that God just made us because he wants us to fill up his glory, right? that he was, he was lacking in glory, so he needed to make people to worship him. No, Father, Son, and Spirit have always been an ocean of, of glory with one another. But he made us to share his glory. He made us that his glory would be reflected, that it would, that it would grow, that it would be known throughout the world, that we're made with the seed of God's glory, and we're made to reflect His glory. But because of sin, that image is broken. Right? Because of sin, that image, that imprint of divine glory is broken in each and every one of us. Right? It's not eradicated. Right? It's not, it's not marred beyond recognition. But it is broken. Every bit of us, our minds and our hearts, our loves, our work, Every bit of us is broken, can still be recognized, but we're broken. I, embarrassingly, I got a new car not too long ago, for which I was very grateful. Um, And, uh, you know, of course, you want to keep your new car looking beautiful as long as you possibly can. A challenge uh, that the world is constantly conspiring against, right? It's pollen season. I'm trying to keep stuff off of it. I'm washing it meticulously, wanting to keep it shiny. And then, while trying to keep the contamination of the world off of my beautiful white car, I myself, no one else to blame, was backing out of my driveway and backed square into a storage unit that I myself put in my driveway. And it jumped out of nowhere and hit my car. Can you believe it? And at the gym the other day, somebody comes up to me and goes, Dave, what happened to your car? 
I know you love it. It's so bright, so new. Why'd you have to bring it up? You know? And so you can still see that it's a nice car, it's a new car, but it's broken. It's marred. Now all I see when I see it is this giant dent in the back and a headlight that's busted out. That the image uh, is broken and marred. The image of God in us is not eradicated. We and our neighbors uh, still bear a bit of that glory. But it's in need of healing. It's in need of being put back together again. It's in need of being mended. And what Moses offers us here in Exodus 34 is a vision of what it looks like when that image starts to be mended. What happens to Moses here is what the scriptures tell us will one day happen to all who place their trust in Jesus. Right? That all of us will experience eternally what Moses tastes in this moment. John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when he appears, that's Jesus, we shall be like him. Right? That we will be remade into a glorious image, unmarred and untainted and unbroken by sin. And how does that happen? Moses shows us the way. It's by encountering God's glory. It's by having an encounter with the glorious presence of God. By seeing Him and in seeing Him being changed by Him. Right, the main place, we said what script, the Scriptures would affirm about our culture's narrative, that there is something glorious inside of you. But where the Scriptures would challenge us would be to say to us, Look, the encounter that you need is an encounter with a glory beyond yourself, right? Your glory is the reflected glory of one who's beyond you. It's not something inside of you to be unearthed. It's what happens and what's unearthed by another when you come into his presence, right? Because of what we believe about the broken image, because of what we believe about sin, it means that even no matter how hard I work to get at my authentic self, it's going to be a broken self, right? That no matter how in touch with my own desires I become, they're going to be broken desires that I can't fully trust, right? That if I'm going to be set free from this, this path of constantly just looking inside myself for transformation, it's going to come when I come into a collision with another, with the glory of God himself. Now to be sure, the glory of God is all around us. Right? The glory of God shines out in all of his creation. John Calvin says that all of creation is a theater of God's glory. Isn't that a great image? That we're like people sitting, uh, watching a show, and all of creation is a theater of God's glory. We see his glory in the sunset. We see the glory at the beach. We see the, the glory of God and the smile of our friends, our children, our spouse. We see his glory all around us. And yet there is another experience of God's glory that's necessary. Right? While the experience of God's glory in a sunset may move us, it rarely utterly transforms us. Right? Even in Moses' prayer, Lord, show me your glory, he's attesting to the fact that there's something, there's something beyond just the general display of God's glory. There's something beyond just simply seeing God's glory and God's presence everywhere. Moses wants a particular experience of his glory, an experience of his face and his presence. 
And only in understanding this can we really come to understand the power behind the incarnation, the power behind what it means to say that God became flesh and lived with us. It is when we understand that all of us need to see God's glory, that we need to see Him in a particular way, in a way that we can know Him face to face. Again, the Apostle John tells us in John chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the revelation of God's glory. Jesus is the one who came to show us just how glorious God really is. Right? Jesus is the one who came to show us and to, sh- to show us and say, look, God's glory isn't just seen in the mountains. God's glory isn't just seen in the sunrise. God's glory is seen in His grace, and in His mercy, in His wisdom, in His compassion, in His tenderness, in His mercy towards sinners, in His dying on the cross, that it's in that that we see God's glory. Paul calls it, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. Right, that if you want to know God's glory, if you want to see God's glory, We look to Jesus as he's shown to us in the Gospels, right? We look to him to see what the Father is really like, what the heart of the Father is really like towards us. And then we can come to taste and to know what Moses tasted there on on Mount Sinai. You know, we often think to ourselves, right? Look, if I could know God like Moses knew God, then I wouldn't struggle, right? If I, if I saw uh, the Red Sea split, if I saw the fire descend on the mountain, if I saw God's glory pass before me, then, oh sure, then I would shine with God's glory, right? Then I would be transformed. Then I would come to be this kind of fully obedient and faithful follower of God. And yet, you know what Paul tells us? We're going to look uh, in a little bit at a passage from the Apostle Paul. He tells us that Moses barely scratched the surface of what you and I wake up to every single day of our lives. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is one of those great chapters in the Old Testament where you can, if you wonder what it means, you can turn to the the New Testament and Paul tells us. He deals with this passage directly in 2 Corinthians, uh, really the whole of chapter 3 and part of chapter 4. We're just going to read a few verses, starting in verse 12. Paul says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, here's the good news. 
Moses, despite his face-to-face or or face-to-backside experience of God's glory, he begins to radiate from God's glory. Like somebody who'd walked through, uh, you know, a nuclear reactor, he starts glowing from his exposure to this radioactive glory of God. And he puts a veil over his face, and Paul tells us why he puts the veil over his face. And why is it? It's that he didn't want the Israelites to see the glory fading away from him. Like somehow uh, his shining face had a half-life. And so when he was with God, it got charged up. And then when he went away, it, it kept it, but over time it faded. And Paul says this is because the old covenant was a fading covenant. That the law was incapable. The Ten Commandments that Moses had just received could give guidance, it could order their lives, but it can't transform somebody. That real transformation has to happen from the inside out. And so when Moses, even in that moment of the old covenant, when he experienced God's glory, it was a fading glory. But we, but we reflect God's glory with an unveiled face. Right, that the glory that we experience by the Spirit of God is an unfading glory. Right? What does he say? Moses' glory faded away and he hid it from the people's sight. But we, by the Spirit, go from glory to glory. Right? That our exposure to God through Christ, instead of diminishing, grows more and more. Right? That we, we have experienced something of the glory of God in reading the Gospels and coming to faith. But that we are launched from that moment into a journey of discovering more and more of the glory of God that won't be consummated until that moment when we see Him and we are like Him. And this life is a journey of living into God's glory and coming to reflect that glory, being transformed by that glory more and more. And the key to it all, Paul says, is the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right, that what the Spirit does is He takes the glory of God that Moses experienced outside of Himself and He pours it out inside of us. Right, that we have the presence of the glory of God, the glory of God that fell on the temple, the glory of God that passed before Moses. That at Pentecost it comes and it rests on us and it becomes ours that we have His Spirit, we have His presence. In conclusion, I'll draw your attention to something that I know that all of you have memorized by heart, and that is our church's mission statement. I know that you all have it framed on your mirror every morning, and you see it, and you teach it to your children. Our mission statement is this, to see and to display the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus in our city. To see and to display the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus in our city. Right, this, this moment in Moses' life is key to our church's mission. Right, we want to be the kind of church that displays God's character to our city. Right, that displays His truth in a world of lies. That display, displays His beauty in a world of gracelessness and ugliness. That displays His goodness in a morally bent and broken world. A light that radiates in the darkness. And we can only do that, right? We want to display that. But we can only do that as we see it. 
Right? We can only do that as we come towards Jesus and say, Jesus, we need to see you. We need to know you. We need to be marked by you. We need to be filled by you. We need to be shaped by you. Lord Jesus, show us yourself. Show us your glory so that we can reflect your glory in our place, in our time, as Moses did in his. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to see your glory. We want to know your glory. Lord, we, we thank you that you have shown us what the glory of the Father is truly like. We thank you that you have shown us in a way that nothing else ever could. The depth of the power and the grace and the mercy and the love and the kindness of God. Lord Jesus, we want to know you so that we can make you known. We want to see you so that we can display your glory. Lord Jesus, we'll only ever be light um, insofar as we come near to your light. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you, by your glory, by the, the power of your outpoured spirit, that you would transform us from glory to glory, that you would remake us more and more into your image, not an image of our own creation, of our own choosing, but an image uh, that looks to you to know who we are, that looks to you to know how to live and how to order our lives. Lead us, Lord Jesus. Teach us, Lord Jesus. Shape us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.